Hey y'all, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about coronavirus and the gross incompetence of so many of our elected officials in handling this crisis. And we're going to touch back a little bit on the ongoing saga of the federal investigation into some of the rampant corruption at City Hall. Uh, but first, how's week number two of quarantine going for you, Bushido? Uh, it's going all right. We obviously uh, took a little bit of a break last week um yes because we had just way too much going on with the mutual aid network and everything else but uh things seem to be sort of like settling in it looks like at least according to eric garcetti we've got two more months of this so we'll see how that goes um it, i don't know i mean it's it's there's just so much to process it's hard to even know where to begin uh how are you doing yeah. how's the uh how's the baking coming uh, the baking is coming well. I, I did discover a, a way around the limitations of our grocery store's uh, logistical th challenges, like, you know, how if you go to any of the grocery stores, there's no flour anywhere. Uh, I discovered that there is a, uh, there are at least a, a few of these restaurant supply companies that are basically wholesale open to the public, and uh, they have, if you've got the storage for it, very large bags of flour that you can buy. So I ended up with a 50 pound bag of flour uh, for baking bread. So I'm, I'm good for a bit. I, I also discovered that uh, the pizza recipe that I had uh, makes too much dough for a single person to consume in any meaningful amount of time. Uh, so I've been having way too much pizza for the last couple of days, but ah. it is tasty. It's just, I'm just kind of the same pizza. And I never, never thought I was going to say that, but I'm getting tired of, eating my own homemade pizza. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, I guess you can get sick of anything good if you have it too many times. A exactly, exactly. So, um, but actually, could you uh, fill folks in a little bit about like what is going on with that mutual aid network that you just mentioned? Yeah, so Ground Game and some of our allies decided that this is the time for community organizations to step up. Uh, and so we pretty quickly got to work on a fundraiser through GoFundMe. Uh, as well as a mutual aid network like logistics operation so that we're able to bring in supplies, uh, donations and such, uh, get them all clean and then get them back out to people who need them. So the office is no longer being used for meetings or daily work. It is just a storage and cleaning center for intaking donations. Uh, we're also offering people direct cash assistance up to a couple hundred dollars or several hundred dollars to help with like rent and bills. Uh, if you need help, please go to bit.ly la covid19 and the the l a and c are capital in that uh if you go to just la covid19 without the capitals you'll end up on a page that tells you everything that's going on with the metrics in la county as far as covid's concerned um but at this point we have uh touched base with more than 100 people who have asked for help we have probably pulled in around 20 or 30 volunteers doing everything from driving to stalking uh, to surfing our Google spreadsheets, to helping us translate the intake forms. Uh, and we're banging on all cylinders. Um, last week was kind of our first week of doing like grocery deliveries and like actual physical deliveries uh, to people who asked for help. And we got around 20 deliveries out the door. And for a group that has never tried to be a mini Amazon before, uh, that's a pretty good turnaround, I have to say. Like, you know, 10 days to reformat an office completely uh to to whip up decontamination protocols with uh, a nurse that we work with and then get that all implemented and get volunteers trained up is kind of a breakneck oh, yeah. pace so it's been uh Absolutely. it's been a really really busy week so i'm still kind of feeling it i'm definitely going to be napping pretty hard later today <laughs> yeah i actually i i went out and was trying to find some supplies to uh to give for those those grocery deliveries and i got to say like it was i mean Shopping for myself, it's one thing when I was, you know, in the first week of quarantine, going out very, you know, carefully making sure to try to keep the distance from folks and just taking a couple of different items, making sure I wasn't, you know, trying to, I wasn't like stocking up on anything. I was just yeah. trying to get the, the bare necessities of what I was going to need for the next couple of days uh, in terms of fresh ingredients and everything else. But when I went out to go look for actual supplies to give to people of, you know, the, the less perishable goods like canned pasta sauce and dry pasta and, you know, beans and uh, like mac and cheese, like these very, very basic staples to just help hold people over the like the amount of just 
panic that you could feel in the air at the grocery stores. It was just absolutely surreal. And seeing these just like I went to the Food for Less over by Home Depot and uh, the one on uh, on Wilshire and Union. And it was just shocking to see a grocery store that normally is so, so full of food. I mean, like the, the, the shelves at this grocery store are twice as deep as anything at the, like at the Ralph's, uh, in, in downtown. Yeah. And there's, it's like a gigantic warehouse and it was just picked clean. Like I, I grabbed, I ended up taking like almost all of the last of the pasta because it was like eight boxes of pasta when you're trying to shop for like 30 people worth of groceries, it's wow. not even coming close. And like, that was like, I was trying to pick up enough stuff to be able to give, to make like 30 different um, packages of, uh, of care, uh, care packages. Right. Yeah. And so I felt horrible that I was like grabbing the last of these things, but it was just like, look, I, I'm, I'm doing this for somebody else. And that was what I had to keep in mind when I was getting like these really nasty looks from some people. Um, but it was just, really very bleak and 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 seeing how people have just completely picked over these shelves i mean to, to, um, i'm i'm to kind of put a, a, a i guess a bit of a bow on that uh costco has let people know that if you bought too many of stuff you can't actually return it um so i think the the first week of panic buying yeah that's true people really bought way more than they needed and weren't really thinking yes. and now we're seeing the the stock supplies and kind of the rhythm of like markets returning so it's not like yeah, we're out of food in the state true. of California. It was just like people bought it all in a week and it's taken a minute to get it restocked. So we aren't yeah. in as dire straits as some of those stores were looking. Yeah. And then also the, the fact that it's now, um, I mean, it, it had become like a de facto policy at these grocery stores. And I, I believe it's now uh, City Hall passed a, a rule about this, um, making it mandatory that the first hour that these grocery stores are open is exclusively designed for people who are over the age of 60 to be able to get the goods that they need. Because I mean, yeah. this, this was, this hit home for me. Like my parents are over 60 and they had been struggling to, you know, because they, they, they had, you know, supplies, plenty of supplies in terms of food and everything else, but they basically were running out of toilet paper in the first week of uh, quarantine. And it wasn't until the stores adopted that one hour 60 plus thing that my parents were actually able to get to a store in time to find a recently stocked shelf and get their one uh their their maximum allotment of one package of toilet paper so like it's really good to see that that is coming into place because not all of the people i mean everyone over 60 is is at a higher risk but even for the people who are able to go out and and still do this shopping with some level of confidence that they're going to be okay as long yeah. as they're taking precautions and whatnot they still weren't able to find stuff because people were panic buying and I, i'm i'm thrilled to see that that came in and it's helping make people safer and i'm really looking forward to when everything kind of starts to go back to the new normal at least um mm -hmm. for the next couple of months but yeah it, it's uh this the mutual aid project we'll, we'll share all of these links in the description of course and uh would love to see more people hopping on board with that we're doing really well on the fundraising and we cannot thank you enough if you have contributed uh, it means a world of difference for the people who are on the receiving end. Yeah, and we'll, we'll obviously put the uh, put the links in the, the description. Absolutely. Um, but you can always go to bit.ly slash mutualaidla to make a donation. We are quickly approaching $60,000, and uh, we're just going to keep raising money. It, it looks like, you know, yes. we're going to be doing this for another two months, according to Garcetti. So we're organizing for the marathon, not the sprint. But let's uh, let's talk about coronavirus here in the city and the county. Uh, how many cases we got going on, uh, a couple of notable deaths, which is a shitty thing to be saying. But uh, overall, let's uh, let's kind of talk about the health of the city and then we'll talk about what went down at yesterday's absolutely marathon Zoom City Hall meeting. Yeah, so the first and foremost, I, I wanted to highlight this absolutely tragic story of uh, a 19 year old who was hit very, very suddenly with coronavirus and basically went from being totally fine on a Friday to being dead on Wednesday. Um, it, it was just this tragic story. We're going to, we're going to link of course in the description for this, but the basic gist of it was that this teenager came down with the symptoms and everybody keeps talking about how there's like this common misconception that if you're 
young, you're not going to be affected by this and you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Like that was part of the huge issue of trying to get people to actually implement social distancing was there was this false confidence that being young and healthy, that you were somehow immune to this. So this 19 year old came down with symptoms and by the time things got serious enough to go and try to seek medical attention, they went to an emergency clinic that was out of network for them. Uh, and then were turned away because they didn't have the appropriate insurance and in transit to the uh, emergency room at the hospital where they would have received some treatment, uh, they uh, suffered cardiac arrest and died. Um, so, yeah, this I don't know what else to say about that other than the fact that if we had Medicare for all, this wouldn't be a problem. And anyone who stands in the way of implementing universal healthcare through a single payer system is a fucking ghoul and needs to shut up and get out of the way so we can make some goddamn progress because this is literally costing people their lives because our health insurance system is fucking broken. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got to say, though, even even in countries that do have uh, nationalized healthcare systems, there's been problems with the covid response because none of our systems were designed to uh weather the shock in the correct way and like the nhs in the uk because they've been cutting the budgets and cutting the budgets and laying off nurses and doctors they aren't prepared for this either now in the u.s it's a different level of unpreparedness like it's harder for us to just flip a switch and activate the entire medical industry but we're really oh, seeing the sure, limits yeah. of like the not just the privatized insurance system but just our privatized healthcare system in general um, where we're short on ventilators, we're short on ICU beds, we're short on the stuff that we need, excuse me, for really acute care to be effective and for doctors and healthcare providers to really be able to treat vulnerable populations in the correct way. And here in LA County, you know, like we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, the last time we did an episode, if we're looking at a couple of hundred thousand people needing hospitalization uh, for coronavirus symptoms, we don't have that many beds in the county of L.A. There's only 70,000 beds in the, no. the state of California. There's only 20,000 beds in the county of L.A. And the number of those that are actually ICU beds is in maybe the couple thousand. Yeah. And so to that end, uh, talking briefly about the total cases that we've got as of uh, yesterday at noon, uh, Los Angeles County has 1,465 cases of community spread coronavirus and 26 deaths at this point. So if the, the state of California has a total of 3,801 positive cases that have been identified with 78 deaths, uh, of those, those 3,801, uh, 1,083 of these cases were uh, community-acquired, uh, 2,718 cases were acquired through person-to-person -person transmission, travel, including cruise ship passengers, repatriation, or under investigation. That includes... 48 healthcare workers. So, yeah, stop going on cruises. <clears throat> yeah, don't no cruise. The cruise industry needs to fucking die and go away. Yes. Uh, I don't, I like, there are so many things. Like, we need to take, like, the, the airline industry, nationalize it. We need to take all of these other things and, 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 you know, take them under public control. But the cruise industry just, no, you just take, take their boat. They don't, they're not even fucking registered in this country or paying any taxes. They fly under flags a foreign government so they can avoid taxes. And they are doing all of that because they are a, a gross and shitty industry and they offer us nothing. And now they're seeking bailouts because uh, no, it just go away, disappear off and sail off into the sunset. And I mean, I would say sink your ships, but we should really be sure to clean them up as best we can and then turn them into coral reef uh, substrates. Because uh, there's no other value to them. And that's not even getting into the massive amount of pollution that those ships create. Oh, yeah. Uh, just across just, the world. No. There's a massive source of pollution and greenhouse gases. It uh, just but, needs to die. You know, it here, just needs to die. Yeah, here in the U.S., like, we're looking at doubling the number of cases nationally every three days. Every day. We have yeah. uh, crossed the 100,000 uh, confirmed cases threshold, which is a, um, a historical marker. Like, no other country in the world has recorded 100,000 cases. So... Um, American exceptionalism is definitely working super hard. It looks like here in LA County, we have been able to flatten the curve a little bit better than they were in New York. So it looks like our peak is hopefully going to be not as bad as New York's peak, but that could also change. 
there are a lot of people of violating the safer at home order. Uh, there are a lot of people out and about going to parks, still like going to semi-public gatherings. Um, be smart, folks. Like, staying home as much as you can. I know, like, it's hard to be inside all the time, um, but minimizing when you're out and about any unnecessary trips, it really goes a long way. Like, the next two weeks to six weeks of this are going to determine how bad this is. So, like, stick it out, stay inside, stay safe, um, get really used to Zoom calls or whatever you have to do. But, you know, <laughs> this this six weeks of discomfort will really pay off in the long run if we do it right. Yeah, so New York City, I saw that um, Governor Cuomo in New York had actually just denied uh, the, or basically say, said that he was going to refuse to endorse the shelter-at-home uh, order from Bill de Blasio. So weird. I don't know what the hell they're thinking, but it, it's uh, gonna. I think it's gonna get continue to get worse in New York, which is horrifying because that's already a an absolute disaster when it comes to managing this crisis. Um, yeah. When it comes to going out to the parks, like the 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 guidelines from the city of LA still say that you can go out and and participate in you know. Uh, these outdoor activities as long as i mean they've closed down a lot of parks and trails as of today but when i was checking um on the website yesterday they're still saying that if you want to go for a walk or if you want to go for a run or a bike ride uh you can still do that as long as you're practicing good social distancing yeah. but you must be sure to practice good social distancing do not get right up next to people do not do that like maintain that six foot barrier but you can still go outside and enjoy some of this weather that we've seen with some of the clearest skies and cleanest air uh, in a very long time because everybody's uh, not driving, thankfully. Yeah, so uh, let's let's talk about what the city's been doing uh, because yes. on last Friday, uh, three million people nationally lost their jobs, which is the greatest one-day increase in joblessness in the history of the U.S., Almost 3.3 million. Yeah. Uh, so it's that's uh, that's going to fuck up a lot of people's ability to pay rent yes. and pay bills and feed themselves and their families. So uh, what is what are our esteemed city council members doing to help us? All right. Well, so let's back it up a little bit here. So on Tuesday, the week before uh, all of the, the, the quarantining and everything really started to kick in, uh, City Hall had like our city council members, Mike Bonin introduced a motion, I believe it was with Gil Cedillo, to basically put into effect a, a, a moratorium on uh, well, a rent freeze and eviction moratorium and a number of other uh, steps meant to help shield people from the uh, more immediate economic impacts of this virus. And then uh, things were were voted on. It was that was the weird meeting where we were like outside in a tent out uh, on the uh, the completely not ADA accessible steps outside of City Hall. Like you couldn't get to it. You couldn't go through City Hall. It was super weird. And uh, they had like a, a big screen TV and then a microphone set up outside and people were giving public comment from out there. Uh, I got a great video of Sabrina Johnson from K-Town for All, spitting uh, absolute fire at our city council members for not doing their jobs. Yeah, so then uh, after after that meeting, uh, nothing was really resolved, so they basically pushed everything to the next week. And then on Sunday, uh, before that meeting took, before the this past Sunday, uh, Nuri Martinez unilaterally canceled the next two weeks of city council meetings. Uh, which drew immediate ire from many activists. And, uh, you know, basically, so K-Town for All actually started a petition demanding that Nuri Martinez resign as city council president for uh, abdicating her responsibility to govern the city uh, in this time of crisis. Uh, and we caught some flack for that, not going to lie. Um, but whatever, we're, we, we stand by our convictions that uh, it was gross uh, for her to take the step of canceling. Uh, we understand, you know, canceling one meeting when you're like, ah, we were just delaying it at least being like, oh, we don't have like the infrastructure set up to do this, but to cancel two meetings in a row um, without, you know, just, just preemptively canceling the meeting a week out is just absurd. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so well, that, especially the, when the meeting when was supposed smaller, to happen on Tuesday, when smaller cities and other cities like San Francisco yeah. were able to pull off remote meetings, Glendale was able to do this. Yeah. Come on. 
Anyway, so uh, the meeting that was supposed to happen on Tuesday ended up turning into an emergency meeting that was held on Friday, which was the amazing 11-hour uh, marathon Zoom session that took place yesterday, which, as you uh, want to discuss, Bushido, uh, had a very interesting and rocky start to the morning. Yeah, there were dick pics uh, there. When <laughs> Yeah, so apparently our city really did not know what they were doing in terms of the IT infrastructure. Um, but yeah, so some some of the some of the members of the public were able to uh, access the video feed uh, and were putting up lewd pictures uh, for the uh, distraction of the city council members. Which apparently nobody on the uh, nobody on the video feed that I'm aware of was actually able to see this other than the people in the actual city council. Uh, and uh, they were, they ended up calling a recess for like, they said it was going to be 10 minutes. It ended up being like a half an hour trying to figure out how to stop all of that. Um, and then we went through this marathon session with honestly, it was probably the most uh, transparent democratic process that we've seen uh, from city hall and it was a breath of fresh air when it comes to, to seeing how this all works, because we're so used to these, you know, unanimous votes coming out of, uh, out of the city hall with all of the members basically not having any real public disagreements on how the language of the emotions are being discussed or anything like that. And all of that was thrown out the window uh, yesterday with just a, a, an open field discussion of how all of this was done. And like Mitch O'Farrell just left it all hanging out there of how grossly ah. out of step he is with the entire um, progressive base in his district. He literally has the most progressive district in city council. And he uh, is, is definitely not in line with that. So we'll go into some more details as, as uh, about that the particular instances there, that one we're talking mainly about the, um, the uh, rent forbearance uh but the whole session was really just it, it was a, a a textbook case of uh you know how these uh how city government works like getting to see uh, honestly this was some of the most amazing public comment that i've ever witnessed and i've been to you know dozens and dozens of city council meetings and i have never heard a more consistent more uh, you know, like the, the language that was being used by people giving public comment, uh, was incredibly moving and impactful, uh, when they were discussing what was being pursued in terms of like sick leave in terms of the, the, uh, eviction moratorium and everything else. Uh, one of the, uh, one of the, one of the things that was passed here in city hall yesterday was rent forbearance. Uh, including a 12-month repayment period versus the six months that they had decided to pursue at the meeting last Tuesday. Uh, Bonin was, of course, the the uh, the main architect of trying to issue. He actually had sought a, I believe it was a 24-month um, repayment period initially, which then it got watered down last Tuesday to six months and then was extended uh, yesterday to actually mm -hmm. be 12 months. So that's great. Uh, which is good. I mean, was, we were ultimately, we were trying to push for 24 months um, yes. which is far more reasonable, um, but 12 months is much better than six. Well, yeah, I mean, because if you think about it, you're, so what, what this means is that you are still going to have to pay your rent. You just have a longer period to pay it. So if you've got one month where you aren't able to pay it, but you aren't being charged for it, and then you get a, uh, a six-month uh, extension on that, that effectively means that your rent is going up by, what, 15%? Because you're going to have to pay back all of that extra rent over the next six months. So effectively yep. you've, you've, you've massively increased your rent. If it's a 12 month forbearance then it's around a 10% increase, but a 24 month, uh, then, then it's a 5% or so increase, which is much more manageable roughly than not having it. But yeah, it's, it's, we'll get more into some of these things. People, there's a reason why people are talking about a rent strike folks. I mean, this is like, um, this is, it's going to help keep some people in their homes immediately. Um, yes. but we're going to see a lot of people forced out when they can't keep up with those payment plans. Um, and it's, I still don't know what the landlord thinking on this one is where, um, they think that they're people that are going to be ready to move into these expensive units soon. 
Oh, yeah. And I, what's I, weird I, is I know a lot of these units will get vacated, and then the landlords will drop the rent to a reasonable level to get people people in there. And it's like, no, you could have just done that with the tenant that's in there, but the landlords are like, well, no, yeah. they signed a lease. They have to stick to the contract. The contract is more important <laughs> than their life. And if I show flexibility on the contract, then God. all of my tenants will expect me to be a reasonable human being and fuck you, get a guillotine. Sorry, that's going to be my like, that's going to be my go-to solution for a lot of problems in the next segment. Uh, understandably so. So one of the things that uh, did get mentioned a lot, uh, Sabrina Johnson, again, from K-Town for All, and along with uh, a couple of members from like Sunrise and other folks, rightly condemning uh, these landlords who are calling in and complaining about their situations. It's like, yo, if you guys are going to talk about the fact that all of your tenants should have six months of rent in like a savings account so that they're, you know, six months of, of living supply of living costs covered to make sure that they're prepared for this kind of an emergency. Why is it that suddenly you know, we're finding out that there are all these people with these mortgages on all of these buildings and they can't make these mortgage payments because they don't have six months of living expenses saved up. They've, they, they, they factor that in as you know operating costs of their business. And they're just this total hypocrisy of, you know, this double standard of saying, Hey, all of you tenants, all of you working class folks who are, you know, paying my monthly uh, mortgages for me, you need to have six months of your savings sacked up so that you can pay your rents, which then pay my mortgages and my rent uh, for my living expenses and everything else. Like that's on you. If you can't do that, then you are going to have to live on the streets, but it's well, not it's my fault if I don't have six months of rent saved up. It's also, it's a, a time where we can also build some solidarity with landlords by explaining to them that, you know, they're going to get fucked just as much as their tenants. Like the banks don't care about oh, them any oh, yeah. more than they care about the tenants. And what we really need here is like a complete systems change. Um, and we saw yes. some public comment 100%. yesterday. There was a, a one landlord who was talking about how she'd already been working with her, her tenants, but she also uh, owns a bar and Hashtag so has a commercial lease. And so she sees it yeah. from both sides, but it's this weird feeling that we're getting from landlords that somehow their industry isn't allowed to lose money. Like, once you become yeah. a landlord, you are just guaranteed by law to always have a positive return and that it's impossible um, for anyone to not pay you what you think you're due. And it, it's really just this like stupid bullshit misreading of the way that economics works. But it's also a sign of this bubble that we've developed in rental property ownership where people are told by like a lot of get rich quick schemes and like investment, you know, methods and like the Trump school of business bullshit oh, that yeah, if you get absolutely. into real estate you have guaranteed 10 to 15% returns every year. There's no way to stop that. They see it as a way to basically lease out their credit to you as a renter so that you have a place to live. And this is showing why like the system doesn't make a lot of fucking sense. And also why landlords are in a position where they're not actually at the top of this food chain. Um, they're, they're actually much closer to the bottom than they want to admit. Um, and they're much more vulnerable. And instead yeah. of like working with city council to come up with ways that we can protect everyone. They're more concerned with making sure that they keep the power to kick people out of the place that they live um, because oh, yeah. they're not getting enough of the, you know, made up money that runs our society. And it's, it's, it's a very dark view of human nature. We're getting in, a, in some of these public comments yesterday. Like some of them were, were just straight up disturbing and upsetting. Yeah. So actually um, on that, Note, let's talk uh, briefly about the sick leave, uh, which was a huge situation going on yesterday uh, that I was able to tune in for a, a significant portion of this meeting. I, I basically was listening to it for about uh, seven hours or so before I, I gave up and had to do something else because I was going insane. And also the uh, <laughs> the hold music <laughs> uh, was on a, a loop of about six songs that you got very familiar with by the end of it. Uh, there was a great one that was uh, this handpan um, tune that was played in there that was very soothing and very fitting for that kind of a situation. But otherwise, like, it was just weird. But anyway, on the topic of sick leave, the L.A. Times summarized the situation as this, quote, the Los Angeles City Council voted Friday to increase paid, paid leave for workers who have fallen ill or need to care for family, but only for workers at businesses with 500 or more employees nationwide, end quote. So... This was the compromise. There was a lot of discussion and back and forth. Um, and uh, Yuri Martinez was talking about how 
if you classified a company with more than 250 employees as not a small business, which if you've got more than 250 employees, you're not a small business. I'm sorry. Uh, and she was talking about all, she kept referring to catering companies and how this was going to just shut them down. It's just like, look, we get it. Like they're already going to be shut down, but people need sick leave. And this is one of those things where it's like, okay, well, if you know, the, if it's not directly because of coronavirus that somebody needs to take sick leave, they still need sick leave. Like we, we should be making this thing a universal uh, situation like if you are uh, if, if, if your spouse for instance c- comes down with coronavirus and the shock of finding out about that adds to the stress which then gives you like oh I don't know like a heart attack or something like that and you've got to recover from the heart attack on top of the fact that your spouse has coronavirus like you apparently don't get sick leave um, because it wasn't coronavirus that, that uh, got you sick it was a, a heart attack so all of these things, it's just like, look, we need like universal sick leave for everyone, especially for people working in like the food service industries. Like we do not, there's no fucking reason why somebody who is sick should be coming in and handling our food. They need to be protected. And these are the people who are the most vulnerable and on the fringe of becoming, you know, housing unstable. It's just absolutely fucking absurd. Yep. Um, Anyway, so one of the most disgusting pieces of language that was uttered uh, during the discussion of sick leave was uh, from Joe Buscaino, who, of course, is uh, the former police officer who happens to represent the 15th uh, City Council District, which is that stretch along the 110 down to the uh, port and encompasses some of the most impoverished communities in Los Angeles and some of the most uh, precariously positioned as far as the front lines of climate change and economic catastrophe. He said, quote, I'm reminded of the first line of the Hippocratic Oath. First, do no harm. And uh, he's using the Hippocratic Oath to talk about imposing sick leave requirements on companies. And it's just absolutely gross saying that. And he's saying that these things are going to decimate small businesses and everything is all fucked up right now but one of the la residents uh who then phoned in uh responded i'm quoting from the la times here uh phoned into the meeting angrily told council members that she had been laid off from a company whose office closed because someone had symptoms consistent with COVID 19 before it shut down she said a co-worker begged others to wash their hands properly to help protect his husband battling cancer people are dying they died yesterday they will die tomorrow and so this is the quote from her sorry Quote, people are dying. They died yesterday. They will die tomorrow. And you have the power now to save so many, the woman said, adding pointedly. The Hippocratic Oath was written about human lives and not businesses and profit margins. End quote. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, Joe Buscaino, like, just what the actual fuck, man? Yep. Uh, it, was, it was gross. And then, like, uh, it, Monica Rodriguez was... Sorry, this kind of like Trumpian line that we're getting from city council that, you know, we can't make the cure worse than the the disease. And it's like economic productivity can come back. It can be replaced. Like money is just a bullshit thing we made up. Um, If we can print two trillion, two trillion dollars at the drop of a hat, then we can figure out a way to like, you know, get money to small businesses once we're, you know, past this. But um, it's just sort of city council showing their class interest. We know that half of them are landlords, but they're still able to vote on whether or not we should have a, a, an eviction moratorium. You know, every single member of city council that's a landlord should not be able to vote on that type of stuff, seeing as they have a direct financial interest in it. And it's kind of amazing that we allow them to be landlords while they're serving on city council. Um, you know, yeah, that's more actually, things that we're going to have really to fix in point. the next couple of, uh, next couple of election cycles. Yeah, I mean, this is this really fits in with like what AOC was talking about at the federal level. If you are a member of the United States Congress, be that the House of Representatives or the Senate, you should not be allowed to own individual stocks because you owning those individual stocks puts you in a position where like your personal best interest is oftentimes going to be in conflict with the best interest of your constituents or of the country as a whole, which, you know, the, the country of a, as a whole is your constituents. So uh, the same thing, I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to say is that if you want to be a member of city council, you cannot be a landlord. You must divest yourself from uh, all rental properties because 
you are in a position where the, this this is a city where the majority of people who live here are renters. You need to be, you know, representing them and looking out for their best interests. And if you are legislating on things that are going to impact your bottom line, like uh, we've got to find some way of dealing with that. Like we actually, if people, if all of the landlords had recused themselves and two of them did, but if all landlords last uh, had recused themselves yesterday, we actually would not have been able to have a vote in city council because we can't get a fucking quorum. We have too many landlords on the council to get a quorum if they all recuse themselves. Um, but we ended up having the vote fail by a single vote uh, to put in place an eviction moratorium during this crisis. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know quite what to say with this one other than uh, Mitchell Farrell was one of the folks who voted against uh, the eviction moratorium. So when it comes to the actual votes on this, we've got Blumenfield, Buscay, and Lee, Martinez, O'Farrell, and Rodriguez were the ones that voted against it. Uh, Curran Price and Paul Kerkorian were the two landlords who excused themselves from this vote. And uh, just for, uh, for a bit of clarity here, when it comes to the landlords on city council, we've got District 2, Paul Kerkorian, District 4, David Rue, although I don't think he's going to be something that we have to worry about that much longer. Um, District 5, Paul Coretz is also a landlord. Yuri Martinez, the president of city council, District 6, she's also a landlord. Current Price, Herb Wesson, and Jose Huizar are the other three landlords. And again, Current Price and Paul Kerkorian were the only two who recused themselves. Although it is nice to see that at least three of the landlords on city council did vote in favor of uh, an eviction moratorium, um, but also extremely telling that the one landlord who voted against the eviction moratorium is Nuri fucking Martinez, who, of yep. course, she voted against the eviction moratorium because she hates working class people. And she pulls out those fucking crocodile tears to talk about the struggle of working class families every time that she's up there and has anyone criticizing her leadership whatsoever. She is just horrible at this job. And I stand fully behind the demand from Curry Town for All, that, or K-Town for All, rather, that... Uh, she stepped down. Uh, it's, it's, this is just absurd. You know, when when they handed over the the presidency to her, they thought it was going to be pretty smooth sailing up until 2022. Um, that you know everything was pretty much settled, and like Herb Wesson had sort of set the course, and Nuri just had to keep her hand on the till. Uh, and it became very apparent very quickly that she is not the leader that we need during a time of crisis like this. And 100%. You know, more and more, it's becoming clear that the only person on that council who gives a damn about us is Mike Bonin. Uh, we're going to yep. change that in November, obviously, by sending him Nithya Raman. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know what? Before we move on, let's uh, let's cover the certified vote, um, because after we voted all the way back on March yes. 3rd, they finally, finally, finally counted uh, almost every vote and uh, let us know who actually won. So uh, let's cover that real quick. Yeah, so uh, this is a, a thing. Uh, the vote was certified, and so officially, Nithya Raman is in a runoff with David Rue and uh, best showing I by mean, a city council or best showing by a, uh, a, challenger, a challenger to an incumbent since 1983. Whoo, that's so good! And you know, before I was like mildly annoyed with the fact that Sarah Kate Levy was in there doing her thing. Um, honestly, if she would have just like dropped out before this vote happened, cause she didn't have a chance, uh, we might've just won outright and things would be very different now. But, uh, that being said, I think that part of the reason why David Rue did vote along, uh, along the side of the people on a couple of these issues yesterday well, now uh, finally was because of the pressure job is under threat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, Oh my God, I actually have to be progressive now. Um, yeah, he's, we're still going to get his ass. He's still going to get his ass kicked, uh, come November. But, um, one of the things that did happen, which was a heartbreaking situation for us is that, uh, the registrar did certify that city staffer B has officially won his reelection campaign against Lorraine Lundquist to represent the 12th district of the Los Angeles city council. So, uh, yeah, no, on, on, on the same day, uh, the previous city councilman to represent that district agreed to plead guilty in federal court. Uh, this is reporting from David Zanizer, Dakota Smith, and Joel Rubin from the LA Times. And uh, let's just dig straight into this because this is one of those few things that is kind of giving me some glimmer of hope in this crisis. 
Mitch Englander, 49, reached a plea agreement this week in an obstruction of justice case that centered on his acceptance of money, hotel rooms, and other gifts during trips to Las Vegas and the Palm Springs area. The one-time LAPD reserve officer will plead guilty to one count of scheming to falsify material facts. Prosecutors charged Englander with lying to FBI agents as they investigated allegations that he received cash payments, expensive quote-unquote bottle service, escort services, and other freebies from a businessman with companies in Southern California. And uh, highlighting just the cartoonish levels of graft and corruption at City Hall is, again, one of those few things that can distract us from the horrors of the coronavirus. So let's go over a couple of the allegations in detail, uh, which, again, quoting from the LA Times article because they're so good at summarizing this, quote, those gifts included $10,000 in cash for Englander, hotel rooms, dinner, drinks, and $24,000 in bottle service at a nightclub were provided to Englander and others on the trip, according to the indictment. The businessman also paid for two female escorts during the trip, instructing one of the escorts to go to Englander's room, according to federal filings. The businessman did not know whether Englander took advantage of those services, the document said. Englander yeah, no, I'm sure, later I'm sure the escorts another... to him just like played some like shoots and ladders, you know, talked about their kids. Dude, no. Like, Uno. exactly, Definitely exactly what, Uno. A, what an escort is sent to your hotel room to do. Absolutely. So. Continuing, Englander took another envelope of cash from the businessman, this time containing $5,000, during a trip to a casino near Palm Springs, end quote. So um, just for a little bit of context here, this we're talking about well under $100,000 in, in total corruption for basically a city council member making a pro, uh, you know, inappropriate, taking, taking gifts and then failing to report them to the City Ethics Commission uh, and, and doing all of this as a way of you know, the, the wheels being greased for the, the introduction to uh, the power brokers at play in the city of Los Angeles for, you know, getting this, this cabinet maker to be introduced to uh, the developers because uh, apparently, and I'm quoting uh, from, from memory here, uh, when you're talking about these billion dollar investments and properties that are being built, quote unquote, that's a lot of cabinets. Uh, so <laughs> it's just like, okay, here we go. Uh, I mean, it, he's got a point. Like, if you yeah. if you manage to win that contract, you're making a ton of money. Yep. Um, but this this will uh, it's just worth keeping in mind that all of this shit that's relating to Mitch Englander is for well under a hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, total bribes and whatnot, uh, from what I understand, versus uh, some other city council members. So uh, let's just go ahead and 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 continue here because. Uh, when the reporters asked Englander's lawyer if he would be cooperating in the ongoing federal probes into the actions of other council members and their staff, uh, she declined to comment. But this lawyer is obviously pretty good at her job because the federal prosecutors have agreed to seek sentencing in Englander's case of not more than 36 months imprisonment, which is fucking wild when you compare the scale of his crimes, including obstructing federal investigation, uh, to those of everyday Angelinos who are sentenced far more harshly for far less serious offenses. So putting a little bit of a bow on this, because we don't actually have that much information to, to go on at the moment, but yeah. some extremely lurid details came out about the other city council member who is wrapped up and is mentioned um, by letter, I guess, in, in the uh, indictment against Englander, uh, which is... I mean, there's no way around it. It's got to be Jose Huizar because all of the details fit. Like if you try to do the, you know, the, the, the investigative reporting uh, and the indictment itself, make it extremely easy to be like, oh yeah, that's definitely Jose Huizar. Like there's, there's mention of like basically trying to establish a, uh, a political dynasty uh, as he's terming out and having a member, a close member of his family uh, taking over his role at City Hall, and literally, there's only one person who fits that bill, and that is Jose Huizar, whose wife Rochelle was briefly running to replace him uh, <laughs> right up until one week after the November election in 2018. Uh, because, of course, the day after the November 2018 election, the FBI raided their home and two of his offices simultaneously, and brought in a USB key sniffing dog to find evidence of their massive campaign finance fraud. Uh, and uh, scandals. And, and just to touch briefly on that, one of the folks involved in that trial uh, or that investigation rather did plead guilty. Uh, he's a, a fundraiser. He pled guilty to uh, effectively taking a hundred thousand dollars in cash um, from Jose Huizar, as well as like skimming off the top of the $400,000 in cash 
that was handed off <laughs> in like I forget I forget if it was a a briefcase or what, but yes, four hundred thousand dollars in cash that was given to Jose Huizar as a way of skirting sequa uh challenges to a development that was going in in the 14th council district uh and that the 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 fundraiser took some money off the top from that 400,000 and then walked uh it took the other $100,000 that was part of a $500,000 bribe in total and kept that as a finder's fee apparently uh and there's also some really just funny text messages of um our wannabe mob boss Jose Huizar threatening uh this this person uh who was involved in these cash transfers because apparently the money uh was not an agreed upon amount for for people to be taking and holding on to so it's it's a mess it's glorious but jose huizar is so so much more fucked than englander because he got caught not just with his fingers in the cookie jar but like his he he, he yeah it's it, he got caught with his entire ass hanging out like yeah they've got him dead to rights on this stuff and i'm really wondering if he's going to even be able to be allowed to serve out his full term but the fact that um he was able to vote uh on any of these things yesterday and that they didn't just do i i, I don't know what the process would be but kevin de leon took like 56 percent of the vote in this election he is certified as the winner i i mean could we just have him start his term early as just like a freebie to replace Weezar because of how extraordinarily corrupt Weezar is? Like, I don't know what the process would be for that, but it would make me feel a little bit better because it's just gross. Yep. Seeing this man who is up there on the podium, uh, on the dais rather, uh, of the horseshoe, making these votes, impacting the lives of Angelinos, and he is so disgustingly corrupt, and we know it, and there is this active invest in FBI investigation going into it. Another member has like multiple people have already played guilty to this. Like it's, it's well past time that Jose Huizar be removed from office one way or another. And let's just do something about that because yeah, come on no, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, we'll have to see what happens with John Lee and whether or not he'll face any sanction from city council at large. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like, I, I understand the people who are like, we don't want to put Lorraine Lundquist through another election. Like I get that, but I feel like it's a moral imperative to recall John Lee at this point. Um, yes. that like the absolutely ridiculously corrupt precedent that's set by allowing him to stay in office. Um, even though he won the election is galling. And it's also a question of, you know, would those 801 people that gave him the election in CD 12, still have voted for him if they knew about this Englander indictment the week before the vote. Um, and I, I mean, think there's I, a damn good question. So. <laughs> I think there's a, I, I, I don't think it's that far of a stretch to say that that probably would have cost him the election being this close. Um, yeah. And, and, and it was, it was a sealed indictment that didn't get released until the week after the election. And if they would, and this indictment came from January, if they would have made this public and like, not allowed Englander to take his fucking time to determine when he was going to turn himself in. If they would have treated him as the criminal that he is and actually gone and done what they do to everybody else and arrested him on their own time, rather than making it be, you know, what's amenable to his schedule, what works for him for getting his lawyers in line. If they would have done what they do to everyone else, especially if you're black or Brown in this country, like if they would have done that, it would have been all over the news. There would have been no way that they could have contained it. And it would have absolutely had an impact on this election. And I, I can, you know, in my heart of hearts, I can tell you right now that I know that Lorraine Lundquist would be celebrating a victory right now instead of uh, a, a such a heartbreakingly close defeat in this last, yeah. in this last election. Well, so let's let's move on to the last thing we're going to cover today uh, and talk about the bailout from the federal government or the stimulus package valued at two trillion dollars. Uh, buried in there is $17 billion for companies that are of strategic importance to our national defense, uh, including Boeing, which, uh, or whose CEO came out and said, we'll only take a bailout if the U S federal government doesn't take a stake in our company, which is some bullshit. If we're investing $11 billion in Boeing, uh, we should own a fucking part of it. Uh, there's another $500 billion or underneath the, that, $17 $17 billion. That $17 billion is part of a larger $500 billion bailout package for corporations um, for basically them to be able to do whatever the fuck that they want with. Uh, there's also a $1,200 check coming to 
a lot of people in this country, but not everyone. If you're undocumented or you're not a U.S. citizen, you will not be getting that twelve hundred dollars. Um, there's some upper limits on the income, but thank you, Bernie Sanders, for fighting for there to be um, no lower limit. So everyone is getting yeah. everyone who makes up to uh, seventy two thousand dollars a year will be getting a twelve hundred dollar check. Thank you, Bernie. Seriously. If you have a family, you'll be getting a twenty four hundred dollar check. If you have two wage earners in the family, um, and there's some other there's some other ways that you'll see a little bit more money coming out of this. But there's about five hundred and thirty six billion dollars in the package uh, to directly bail out sort of the American people, but obviously there's some str- some strictures on it. And twelve hundred dollars doesn't go very far, especially when it doesn't get here until May. Um, no. So I'm not really sure why it takes the federal government that long to figure out how to send people a check. Um, but we're going to be waiting for it for a while. And here in LA, 1200 bucks doesn't even cover a month's worth of rent. So I think for a lot of people, it will help. Um, but it's not going to help for very long. And a one-time payment does nothing when we're staring down the barrel of a multi-year long recession. Um, and then other than that, there's another 300 billion or so dollars for bailing out small businesses, uh, giving them money to keep paying payroll, uh, basically to, even if the businesses shutter, uh, the federal government will be giving a lot of businesses enough money to cover their payroll and their expenses to at least be able to keep sending paychecks to their workers, at least for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, depending on how highly paid and how big your staff is. Um, but again, yep. like these are all very short-term temporary fixes, and none of them are going to protect everyone. They're going to get a few people over the hump, but they're not going to get anyone back to security or certainty. And that's really the problem we're looking at here is in order to overcome what we're facing, we need systems change. Um, but it's not just enough to cut everyone a check and you know bail out a few mom and pop businesses and say, all right, there we go, it's fixed. You know, This pain is still going to be around in six months. The knock-on effects from three million people losing their jobs in one day is going to be around for a while. And let's not forget, like, there's, there are some economists out there predicting that we could see 14 million people unemployed, 30% unemployment rate by the end of April. We have no plan for that. Wow. Not, yeah. a, not a fucking plan. Um, you know, mutual aid, solidarity, these are the networks we're building now because we know that we're going to need them in the coming months. That they work. But the federal government, the state government, the city government, they're not organizing for the marathon. They don't seem to have any fucking clue of what they're going to do in six months or a year when most people are still out of work. Like most people who lost their jobs are still out of work. Um, when a lot of like commercial real estate is on the market and just sitting there empty when there's a shit ton of empty apartment buildings and the number of people li- living on our street is skyrocketing again. Uh, they don't but seem wait, to have a plan know. for that other than making sure that they can still collect, you know, two months worth of rent checks, uh, lest we all um, become incredibly lazy and think that, hey, maybe landlords can go fuck themselves instead of me having to work myself to death to pay their mortgage. Yeah, but Bushido, didn't didn't Trump say that everyone's going to be, you know, back to normal by April 14th and that all of these people are going to be able to pack into the churches and celebrate Easter? God, if only we had that kind of certainty from our our leadership in Washington. Uh because now Trump today is suggesting that we may have to quarantine uh the city and state of New York. Um because hey, there's so many people like he really doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, but there's so many I mean, people that, that, that have, right. have left New York City uh, to go elsewhere that they're spreading the disease to other epicenters. Uh it looks like New Orleans is now an epicenter. Because a whole bunch of dipshit Fuck. people were like, let's go to Mardi Gras. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. you. Don't That's... go to Mardi Gras. Fuck you. Just 100%. Yeah. And let's, let's go to Daytona Beach for spring break. No, fuck you. Don't do that. Yep. Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. It's, there there it's was a, a, a piece I saw that tracked all the phones. Uh, they were out at a beach. I believe it was Daytona Beach, but it was a, a beach oh, in Florida God. and tracked where they went after spring break. And they fanned out across the US and across the privileged parts of the world. They went to, to Western Europe, they went to Australia. They went to South Africa. Uh, they went to Israel. So those were people who were exposed to a bunch of folks, um, at least a few of whom were probably carrying COVID, um, and then went and spread that across the globe. Like, this is, we're doing such a bad job of this, and no one has a plan. Yeah, we really And it's are. so fucking dumb. So uh, I guess to tie this all off, get involved with our mutual aid network here. Start your own mutual aid network. Start your own neighborhood pod. We have all of the documentation and the instructions for how to do that. But this is the time we protect us. Like LAPD can't shoot a virus to death. We have to be the ones who keep they our neighbors safe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's basically what, what's going on here. Um, I don't know what's going on with my, my understanding is the, the black lives matter. So getting into the pickups really quick, 
Um, the Black Lives Matter Weekly Vigil has gone digital. Uh, you'll have to go check the uh, information for how to get involved with that uh, on the, I believe it's the Black Lives Matter Instagram feed. Um, they, I know they, they did it digitally last week. I've kind of, you know, fallen off the, the track on that one. Um, but I believe that it's still the same, the same general, just, a, it's, you know, holding space. We can't do it physically in front of the hall of justice anymore, but you can still hold that space, uh, digitally for the family members to give them the space to grieve and ha be heard and, you know, try to help that healing process because, uh, though the LAPD can't shoot the virus, they certainly do like to shoot black and brown men, uh, and, and people all, all over the city. And it is disgusting. And there is a demand that, uh, officially, you know, getting back to the elections really quick, it is certified that if Jackie Lacey is officially in a fucking runoff and we're coming for her job, uh, and, uh, vote for Gascon when it comes to November, because Rachel Rossi put up a hell of a fight, uh, but Gascon got more votes and, uh, Jackie Lacey has got to go we need to get rid of her here here we'll definitely be talking about more about that in in the coming months but yes uh check out the black lives matter matter black lives matter instagram page to get information about how to participate in that uh ongoing vigil uh i know that latu has shifted their meetings to be digital as well i don't know that the schedule is necessarily reflected on their calendar up on the webpage. um but i have been getting invitations from the vibe chapter to participate in their zoom meetings and uh yeah just do whatever you can to get plugged in with folks uh i know zoom has become a now a, a definite uh routine habit for folks because that's literally the only option we have available to us for how to continue to organize in these spaces now that we can't cohabitate the same spaces to uh, you know be in each other's presence and i cannot wait to get to the point where we can be back in a room together because uh social isolation sucks and we all know that it sucks, uh, but this is what we need to do to keep each other safe because the government isn't doing it to help us and we need to be able to help each other. Like it's the only way we're going to get through this is by helping one another. So on that note, as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in publicizing or just being made aware of, send us a message. We can still do this digitally. It doesn't have to be physical anymore. You can reach us, of course, through the Ground Game LA Facebook page or by email over at podcast at groundgamela.org. This podcast and every Ground Game podcast is a production of Knock.LA. You can support our work over on Patreon at patreon.com slash knock underscore LA. Of course, check the description for sources, links to actions, and social media uh, as always. So thank you very much for tuning in. We apologize that we weren't able to get a, an episode out last week. Things got crazy and... Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, but we're yeah. we're back on our schedule, uh, back on our we bullshit. Uh, I want to encourage you all again, uh, get active with our mutual aid network, get active with your own mutual aid network, start a neighborhood pod, do whatever you can. Uh, to everyone out there across the nation who is working to deliver supplies and take care of our most vulnerable uh, neighbors and, and, and um, community members, thank you all so much. Your work is invaluable. Yes. We're out here with you. We're going to make it through this. Take care of yourself, everybody. Thanks.
Freddy Bad Boy, Freddy Bad Boy, Freddy Bad Boy, Freddy Bad Boy.